Hello listeners, this is Lee Price. This is Will Ford from Football365. And you're listening, smartly, to At, At The, the Bridge, Bridge Pod, Pod, a Chelsea, Chelsea FC podcast. podcast, although I would describe it as THE Chelsea FC Podcast. It's time for another episode of At The Bridge Pod, your number one Chelsea FC podcast. Coming up on this episode, Ben Jacobs is back on the show to talk all things Enzo Fernandez, Jao Felix, Ivan Tony, and Moises Casado. The January transfer window is officially open. Welcome back everyone to another episode of At The Bridge Pod and I'm joined in a virtual room filled with one light, just the one solitary line. It's Chris. What was your highlight of the New Year's Eve weekend? Uh, I could tell you what it weren't. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, highlight. Uh, you know what? We we had some we had some people around. We had some friends around. We, nice. we had like a game night. Oh, that, brilliant! That, 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 that was all right, and it turned out better than I, I, I thought it was going to. So I, I'd have to say that. To be honest, I'm not really a big one on New Year. If I'm honest, I don't really. You're not there doing the the tunes on the decks to DJ. Uh, I, I don't really see the point. Did you jump up, old Lang Syne, everyone shaking hands? You know, you're getting, getting the spirit. No, I'm not one of them. I'm not going to lie. That's, that's not me. <laughs> to be fair, one man who had a good New Year, Scott Parker, this is my highlight. He's gone from relegation battle to Champions League knockout round as he's took over Belgian Giants Club Brugge. I mean, Brugge parted ways with their previous head coach, Carl Hoofenks, earlier in the week with the club sitting fourth in the Belgian Pro League table. Um, Hofkins obviously had only taken charge in the summer, just gone. And he lasted just the six months, despite guiding Brugge into the knockout stages of the uh, Champions League for the first time in their history. But the fact Scott Parker's turned up there, just to me, I was like, how did he get that gig? How? I don't know. That, To be fair, I know that's non-Chelsea related, but that sounds like the most Chelsea thing ever. <laughs> like. Mm. Put a manager in charge, gets us to the knockout stages for the first time ever. Sack him. <laughs> it was just the fact that it came up and it was like Scott Parker has got a new job. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Where's he at? He's going to be a champion. Maybe League One, probably too good for League One. Champions League. Wow. Wow. That is bad. Oh, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, Before we review our game against Forest, I'm sorry, listeners. Um, I had the chance earlier to speak to friend of the show, the outstanding journalist that is Ben Jacobs, all about the latest on Enzo Fernandez and many more transfer targets. The January transfer window is open, listeners, and I felt it was the perfect time to bring on to our show the very much respected and admired Ben Jacobs to give us the latest on all the Chelsea news. So, Ben, welcome back. Yeah, Happy New Year to you as well. I mean, it's the busiest time of the year for yourself and many, many people with the window open. And I've, I've got to go straight where the listeners, they they need to know more on this. The deal that it's caught fire in recent weeks, or dare I say days, it's World Cup winner Enzo Fernandez. This one, for me, seems to have gathered so much pace so quick. So where are we currently as of recording? Yeah, as of Monday morning and things could move very quickly. There's no verbal agreement. That's the first thing to say. And I know that some on the Portugal side in particular of the media believe that a deal is almost done or a framework in place. That's not 
my understanding, mm. but Chelsea are pushing. And by pushing, it's very important to understand when these kind of deals get done, you can't have one side only being the aggressor, only trying to force the issue. At some point in the negotiation, you have to be patient. And what's been key in the last 48 hours is not actually any negotiation between Chelsea and Benfica, but internal Benfica meetings discussing the options and whether or not they're prepared to sell Enzo Fernandez mid-season and for something other than the release clause. So I think that what we know about Chelsea is that they will not, in all likelihood anyway, pay the release clause because that mm. requires a lump sum payment. And the reason why there's no verbal deal in place is one, because Benfica haven't communicated to Chelsea yet whether they're prepared to advance things even further. So Chelsea have taken encouragement from the fact that there has been direct club-to-club -club engagement. And obviously, if Benfica were only going to hold out for the release clause, they wouldn't necessarily have taken those meetings. But what Chelsea are dealing with is a divided board. And therefore, certain members of the Benfica hierarchy are prepared to sell Enzo Fernandez now. And others want to keep him until the end of the season at a bare minimum because Benfica is still in the Champions League and they've got a very winnable, on paper at least, round of 16 tie against Club mm. Bruges. The other reason why it's no done deal or verbal agreement is because Chelsea have and continue to explore all options. So it depends upon the Benfica feedback. If Benfica say, we'll sell, but we want the largest possible fee, then Chelsea would be forced to pay above the release clause and gain a payment structure that suits them. In other words, splitting the payment over many years, mm. but they would have to pay a massive fee and they may not wish to proceed. The other option is that they effectively lowball Benfica and say, if you want a lump sum, then we will not offer you anything close to the release clause, but we'll still offer you miles above the market value. And they will play on the fact that Benfica know deep down the release clause is ambitious and is set to detract suitors, not because they think they can actually get that kind of fee. And therefore, were Chelsea, for example, to offer 80 to 90 million, something mm -hmm. in that ballpark, it's way below the release fee, but it's still way above the market value. And if they were to offer that with preferable payment terms to Benfica, then that might be a way of getting the deal done. And until Benfica feedback as to what their priority is, Chelsea will not know what their next move is. Now, it's very possible with the time people listen to this that will know what that feedback is. But over the course of New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, it was about internal Benfica meetings. So Benfica may say, we want the largest possible fee. And therefore, to get it, we will be flexible on payment terms. Or Benfica may say, if you are not to pay the release clause, then you must give us whatever you offer in a lump sum, because actually they want the money up front still. And of course, the middle ground in all of this, which would be bad news for Chelsea, as Benfica say, no, the player's not for sale. Your only option remains to trigger the release clause. Otherwise, you'll have yeah. to negotiate for summer instead. And I know that sounds like a lot of options and not much progress, but we've really only been in 
what would be termed advanced negotiations for three or four days, which is relatively quick and we're early in the window as well. So what's key in terms of the next step is Benfica's feedback. And then from there, Chelsea will know whether or not there is value in moving. But this is not about pushing and pushing and pushing and Chelsea being aggressive and just offering a massive wad of cash because they desperately want the player. If the deal gets to the point where it is not in Chelsea's interests financially to complete a deal, they'll walk away. Hmm. I mean, I did see earlier you tweeted as about uh, Edson Alvarez. Are you still on our radar? Is that more a backup option or is that a realistic main target alongside Enzo? Well, I think that what you have to do during a transfer window is spin plates and you have Mm. to be very honest to some extent or at least consistent in your approach with those that you do business with. Otherwise, players start to feel like, as you asked in the question, are they a backup? Are they a secondary choice? And I don't think clubs would ever use those terms because you never know who you're going to need to come back to. You never know who could start a backup and become a priority. So the last thing you want to do is spell out a narrative that here's my order of players. So you have priorities and obviously the market moves in mysterious ways and those priorities can change. So Edson Alvarez was a priority on the final day of summer. And Todd Bowley said to Edson Alvarez that he plans on coming back. And now Chelsea have got a brand new recruitment team and their perspective can change, but he's still there and on the radar and obviously offers a bit more market value. Back in the summer, Ajax wanted somewhere in the region of 45 million, but didn't really want to sell on the final day of the window. So whether or not Chelsea now meet that valuation is one question and whether or not Ajax want to sell mid-season is another one. But what we know is the player wants the move and Chelsea haven't necessarily gone away. So they've not advanced anything yet, but we're still early in the window. And regardless of whether Chelsea want both players, they also have to think about the bigger picture here, which is perhaps another thing that people forget So it isn't only about a bunch of targets. It's about which targets add up financially in Chelsea's bigger picture. And were they to spend, let's say, 45 million on Edson Alvarez alongside, let's just call it 120 million because that's the release clause. But it wouldn't surprise me if it ends up being significantly less if Chelsea take that lump sum approach. But those two are still going to total well over 100 million. And there's a lot of other positions that need strengthening in this window and over the summer. So they also have to think about the finances as well. And there's perhaps more budget options out there. And that's what I mean in trying to explain to you about why clubs don't say backup or plan B. Yeah. Because right now, Chelsea would argue Edson Alvarez is just a target. And... Enzo Fernandez is a target and Moises Caicedo, who we can maybe talk about, is a target. Mm. But if they get one of them, then they will assess who their next target is based on all kinds of things. If you buy an experienced player, the youth targets get bumped up. If you buy a hundred million pound player, the budget targets get bumped up or maybe the short-term targets or the loan targets. So one signing impacts another signing in many different ways. And therefore, until they get the first one through the door, the strategy and the approach and trying to predict how they'll move in the market is a little bit unclear. And that's not me sitting on the fence. It's just the logical reality of window planning 
and of moving in a market where you don't have a infinite amount of funds, but also if you add something that you want in the short term, then your long-term strategy will naturally and logically change. So we go from one current Benfica player to a former in Jao Felix. I mean, we've heard multiple clubs are keen on a loan deal. A big loan fee has been rumoured. Some suggestions of an obligation to buy, some an option. I mean, is he a man that Chelsea fans could be seeing at the bridge next this season? Well, Chelsea, Manchester United, Arsenal have all held dialogue. That's the mm. first thing to say. And I think that all three clubs appreciate Jawa Felix, but there's no value in the deal at the moment. So at the time of recording, there isn't an option or an obligation. And that's one of the problems here, that Atleti only want to loan Jawa Felix to get him off their books and then reassess the situation in the summer. Otherwise... If they do anything else right now in terms of giving a club an option or an obligation, it's highly likely that they will at best break even and probably lose money from Jawa Felix because of the massive fee that they paid for him. And because of his age and because of his high ceiling of potential, and who knows, some would argue because Diego Simeone won't be at Atleti forever, and there's clearly a problem in terms of football philosophy or fit between Simeone and Jawa Felix. So if the manager changed, the style of the football club might change and Jawa Felix might be a whole lot happier. And I think that we can make parallels in that respect between Christian Pulisic and Graham Potter versus Christian Pulisic and Thomas Tuchel. It's early days and we don't know whether Christian Pulisic will definitively stay or feel happier at Chelsea. But what we know in the most basic of terms, is that Pulisic didn't love playing under Thomas Tuchel and he started the last two games under Graham Potter after a pretty encouraging World Cup. So we'll have to watch this space. So a player's love for a football club and desire to change can be quite fluid. And just because Jawa Felix doesn't like Atleti at the moment doesn't mean that Atleti don't see a long-term future for him. But in the short term, they know they urgently need to get him off the books. So there is a possibility for Chelsea, but I don't think currently there is any value in a loan deal. So as I've reported, and Mm. I said this maybe a week ago now, but I know there's been fresh news kind of in keeping with what I reported, saying from the excellent David Ornstein, for example, that as the window progresses the value in a Jawa Felix loan may improve because Atleti have an urgency to get him off their books. So right now, Atleti hold all the cards. It's early in the window. There's multiple suitors that at least have expressed some kind of interest and therefore they can pit them against each other and hope that somebody commits quickly. But the loan fee is high and the wage is 5.3 million, pro rata obviously over six months. If you yeah. wait until the end of January then you knock off a month on the loan fee and you knock off a month of the wages, but also Atleti may soften and the actual loan fee may come down. And I think Chelsea believe that five or six million is a more than fair loan fee. And then they assume 100% of the salary and still Atleti at the end of it all have the ability to bring the player back. So that would be one option. And if there's no option to buy, the loan fee should logically be lower. If there becomes an option to buy or an obligation to buy, 
then obviously at that point, there's negotiation needed between the clubs to work out where in the value lies. But at the moment, Atleti are being quite bullish. It's early in the window and it's putting off the Premier League suitors so far. So I would say there is still a likelihood that Jawa Felix ends up in the Premier League by the end of the window. But from Chelsea's point of view, they have to find a way of driving the value down. And in addition to that, they have to work out wherein he fits. And if he is a short-term solution on a loan only because they feel that they want that creativity and possibly the goals that will get them Champions League. But then remember, come the summer, they will have spent a lot of money using that approach and they'll either have to return the player or if they buy the player, they've got Nkunku, they've still got creative-minded players and those that can chip in with goals like Azirka, Pulisic, Mason Mount. So there becomes a lot of players in that position. So we need to wait and see whether Chelsea can work out if there is either A, a long-term plan for Jawa Felix in terms of an opportunity to buy him, or B, if it is just a short-term loan, which might make more sense for Chelsea with Nkunku coming in and potentially other targets. If he's only short-term, can they make the numbers make sense? Because right now, that fee for a six-month loan and the wages are just far too high for, I think, any Premier League club to move forwards at this stage. So then they'll wait until later in the window and hope that the overall package drops. Yeah, I mean, I saw as well that today that The Athletic reported that Chelsea are looking to sign the penalty box specialist striker this January. I mean, is that a Jao Felix-related bit of news or is it is there something else going on that maybe we're not aware of yet? Well, we just know that Chelsea want some kind of goal-scoring forward or creative-minded player that can offer support because Kai Havertz is not playing consistently. He was barely involved against Nottingham Forest. Raheem Sterling is being asked at times to play in a more unnatural position, which means that he's not chipping in with as many. I know he scored against Nottingham Forest, but there was a big element of fortune to that. And then who else is going to step up? Is it going to be a Pulisic, a Mount? And it's not only in the scoring of goals, but the contribution of goals. So Chelsea, therefore, might look for more of a penalty box player that's a little bit more old-fashioned and can get the goals needed in the short term to push Chelsea up the table. And as I've said many times, when clubs look, they plan ahead with a long-term strategy, but sometimes you have to go against that strategy and bring in a player for the now, bring in a player with undoubted experience that can just get the goals necessary in order to improve Chelsea. And I think that due to the form currently and a busy January, February and an important January, February, because if Chelsea play all these London derbies and Manchester City and Liverpool and don't pick up the points, then they'll end up being seven or 10 points adrift of Champions League football. And they'll head into that Dortmund game in the Champions League in a very negative position because by that stage, it will be the end of the window. And obviously at the flip side, and we hope that form improves and that they go in buzzing to that Dortmund game. So it's easy to paint that doomsday scenario, but my point is that Chelsea realise strategically January isn't only about this window planning, these young players, these long-term contracts, the building of their identity. It's also about firefighting the 
unfortunate urgency of needing to calm things down on the football side so they don't fall too far adrift in the next six weeks or so of Champions League football. And to do that, you need a now player. Now, January's tough because a now player, a form player is not always available. And if they are, you still have to be able to negotiate that deal. So were you to say to Chelsea fans right now, what do you need in the final third? I would imagine that most would say somebody that's on red hot form and that's scoring a load of goals and that can slot straight into the system in the Premier League, which means that you might be looking at a Ivan Tony, who uh, thankfully hasn't, I don't think anyway, sustained as significant a knee injury as it first appeared in their win at West Ham, or they might even warm some Chelsea fans to a player like a Wilfred Zaha. And these names are not necessarily, as I said before, number one priorities based upon last summer or when the ownership group first came in. But now you start to look at who could go straight into a starting 11 and score six to 10 goals in the second half of the season, because that's the kind of player that Chelsea need alongside what they've got to turn around their form and fortune and make a serious challenge for Champions League football. Mm. So we have to wait and see what the approach is. Right now, I'm told there's no advanced or concrete talks with any of those type of players yet because Chelsea are talking about Enzo Fernandez. They've obviously brought in a defender and they've added a couple of youth players. But with that early business out the way, it wouldn't remotely surprise me whether on a loan or a permanent deal as we head into the meat of the window into mid and late January if that's when Chelsea do put a lot of concerted effort into that more traditional goal scorer. I'll finish on yet another Brighton player the club are keen on, Moises Casado. You mentioned him earlier and on Twitter that he's one to watch when it comes to Chelsea. Now, Potter in the past has joked that 42 million would only buy his boots. So how realistic <laughs> do you see that connection? Well, Moises Caicedo is one to watch and maybe a more realistic possibility than Alexis McAllister. I don't think Brighton wants to lose either mid-season, but if they had to lose one, I think that Caicedo is perhaps more likely because Alexis McAllister is not only contracted until 2025, Caicedo is healthily contracted as well, but Brighton have got the opportunity with Alexis McAllister to automatically extend that deal by a year and they can therefore protect the value of the player. Whereas with Caicedo, I think that there's a few more long-standing suitors that had explored him prior to the World Cup and I think that Brighton believe they might get high value out of that deal. So Brighton are holding out for 70, 75 million for Caicedo. I think that the market valuation for him will be between 55 and 65 million. And we wait and see whether anyone is prepared to pay closer to 70 million, which is what Brighton would ultimately try and hold out for. But Moises Caicedo changed his agent towards the back end of the last window and that agent has been putting out feelers and exploring possibilities for quite some time. It's not true that Liverpool have placed a single bid for Moises Caicedo, and I don't believe that they will move in this window because they have concerns about how messy a deal is. 
And this is going to be difficult for Chelsea as well. So negotiating with Brighton isn't a problem. Chelsea have got a very good relationship with them. Finding a fee that is valuable is going to be problematic because he was decent in the World Cup and he's playing regularly in the Premier League now and it's mid-season too. So obviously Chelsea would have to dig into their pockets a little bit, but certainly not to the same tune or value as Enzo Fernandez, and therefore they might see Caicedo either in January or in the summer as being a little bit more of a bargain. Mm. But what makes it a messy situation is that Moises Caicedo is represented by all kinds of different people, and each of them historically and now lay a different claim to him and ask for a different fee and a different cut. So when Brighton signed him from IDV, they paid a very low fee but they had to pay all kinds of agents costs. And that is challenging because you really don't know what you're in for until you get into advanced negotiations. And then all kinds of people creep out of the woodwork and say that they're entitled to a percentage, a cut, a fee. And then there's family members as well that are heavily involved in parts of negotiation that may also want some kind of monetary value back. And this is challenging. And nothing's really changed since Caicedo was at IDV. And I think that Brighton bit the bullet a little bit because they just realised that there was a low fee and a high potential. But now there's not a low fee. And obviously, when you're paying these percentages, you're often paying the percentages ratioed to the actual transfer. So therefore, if the transfer fee is big, so are the agent's fees and all kinds of other things associated to the sale from multiple parties. And it's too messy for Liverpool which is why I'm told, despite the fact that they had a historical interest in Moses Caicedo, they're not prepared to move this January. Chelsea might be, which is why it's one to watch. They haven't yet. But I think that if Brighton are to lose one, and they won't lose both during the January transfer window, but if they're to lose one, Caicedo, I believe, talking to sources, is more likely to depart this window than Alexis McAllister. But we wait and see. It all depends on the strength of the offer and who's prepared to get what will be a messy deal done, messy on the agent side. So Chelsea have that relationship with Brighton, Graham Potter, Paul Winstanley, Carl McCauley have that relationship with Caicedo as well. So we wait and see whether Chelsea move either now or for the summer. But I do think that there is a genuine interest on Chelsea's part. Right. Well, thank you for your time today, Ben, and all the best to you for 2023. All the best to you as well. Look forward to a busy window for Chelsea and excited to come on again soon. Special thank you to Ben Jacobs for giving us the latest on all the Chelsea transfer business that we can expect in January. Uh, It's kind of one of them fuck financial fair play, you know, you know, I mean, if I'm tired, I'd probably just bid for the entire Argentina first 11, not to sign them. Just to just to piss people off, you know. No more. Uh, there was no piss boiling though in the Midlands. Oh, this is terrible, isn't it? Chelsea took on Forest on New Year's Day, probably playing with a hangover. It was it's our first Premier League showdown against Forest in nearly twenty four years, and Chelsea obviously forced to settle for a point. Two very different halves. I mean, at the City Ground, we got off to a strong start, controlled possession and territory for the first 45 minutes. And then the game was ultimately decided by two chances, one of which Kepper turned away twice to deny Brennan Johnson and the other of which 
was Raheem Sterling. He emphatically scored to score, get the lead. And obviously he took over as our leading goal scorer six so far this season. Then after the interval, oh dear, things took quite a drastic turn, didn't they? As Forrest went in, looking like a whole different team. They were clearly committed to scoring that equaliser. And Gibbs White, he hit the underside of the crossbar and that was a warning. Did we listen? No. Home team tied the game through Serge Aurier, who I didn't know was playing for Forrest. Uh, there was a scramble in the Chelsea box. He scored. It was a consequence of a corner. New Year, same Chelsea, right? Yeah, pretty much. It's shame. It's, it's so frustrating because... We did really well against Bournemouth. I know people will say it's only Bournemouth, but it was it was a better it was better to watch. We got the result, and that was the first game back. And you thought we can kick on from here now. And you look at the fixtures and you think, okay, with Man City coming up twice, but we've come back to Bournemouth and Forest. You take that, take the six points. Then you could probably afford to lose against City. Um, on Thursday, you know, as long as we put in a, a half decent performance, um, I think people would have accepted that. Um, but at least you've started to gain some momentum in the league, and it's it's just died again. And to be fair, I, I think I, I think Ollie said it um, on the podcast after the Bournemouth game that it's about building on that result, and it be it would be the most Chelsea thing ever to go to Forest and lose, and we didn't, but it felt like it. And I think the, the the issue I've got is there was nothing positive from the game. Like I've I've really tried to find just a single positive, and I can't because even Thiago Silva playing really well, and he did. He had another solid game. If your best player is a thirty-eight-year-old centre back, that is an, mm. that, that's a massive negative, if anything, from a game, not a positive. It's yeah. It's uh, it's it's what we spoke about with the with the same players again as well. It's you know, Kai Havertz goes from looking good against Bournemouth to just his normal self against Forest. Raheem Sterling looked brilliant against Bournemouth. Absolutely shocking game against Forest. The goal and then he might as well have gone off because mm. he did nothing else positive in the whole game. And I think that's the problem. You know, I've I've said in our group chat that you know I've got criticism of Potter at the moment as well but you've got to start looking at these players and they are just not good enough and when you look at the stats before the game that we went into the game like ninth in the table and you think oh Chelsea that should never be ninth in the league but then they put up our top goal scorers this season I don't know whether you saw it um it's got well Sterling's obviously was on five before he scored so yeah our top Premier League goal scorers this year was Kai Havertz with four and mm. then I think it was Mason Mount with three, Sterling with three, Jorginho with two. And I looked at it and I thought, well, that is a team who should be ninth. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of them where, you know, obviously the other two aren't here today, so they can't. They're the more positive of the uh, of the, the quad that we are. are. I mean, are. I, look, I don't recall the last time I was confident of a one or even a two goal lead. You know, look. I don't mind if we don't score many goals, but you can't just mentally shut down at 1-0. You know, offensively, I'd say we're bottom three. You know, defensively, yeah. we're, we're probably bottom half. That's not great. I mean, the movie Morbius is probably more entertaining to watch right now than uh, a Chelsea performance. You know, creatively, we seem 
bankrupt, you know, and it's quite almost embarrassing considering the stature that we all hold ourselves to as as a club, as as fans of the club. You know, we go top four and we've seen it throughout each season. That's the expectation. Top four, obviously title challenging. When you've got Manchester City and Erling Haaland's 162 goals, he'll score a season. It's going to be difficult for a title challenge. However, you know, we will obviously touch on it soon, but all of us do obviously have different takes on our direction. But right now, unless things improve, I could see Potter ending the spring with a nice compensation package in a P45. And that is mad. That is mad to be considering that, considering the project. But Chelsea is not forgiven. We don't know if we will be as ruthless as the previous ownership. We don't know. But as we stand, top four for me is gone. That's going to be City, Arsenal, Liverpool and probably Newcastle, but Liverpool just lost tonight, 3-1 to Brentford. So maybe not Liverpool, maybe Manchester United at a push. It, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's hard. It's, it's we're, hard. And, we're, yeah. We're not getting, we're not getting top four. Absolutely no, no I chance. can't see and, it. It'd be shocking if we did. Amazing, but. And I have, I've seen some people saying that if we don't get top four, then Potter would have failed and it's an underachievement. But we are a, top four club we are a title challenging club mm. we are we are a top six at best team and i think that's where people need to realize that you've got to separate the club from the team you could take if you give real madrid nottingham forest squad they'll still be real madrid mm. but their but their team will be awful yes so of course. that's that's what people have got to realize that the club is is still a powerhouse in in football and still an elite football club, but our team is anything from elite at the moment, and it hasn't been for a long time. Let's be honest. And mm. that that Champions League win in twenty twenty one papered over the cracks, and I think it gave some of these players more time than they've deserved. And I think now is the the time that if Potter feels that the, the club are truly backing him for this long-term project, then it's time to get ruthless. And these players who aren't doing it and haven't done it, let's face it now, for a while, mm-hmm. take them out. Well, take yeah. them out and put and put some of the kids in. You'll get more backing from the fans if you're playing some of the kids and they're struggling than watching the same people fail over and over and over and over again. I, I will say it now. I don't think there's a single player in our squad except Reese James and probably Thiago Silva, but because of his age, I wouldn't include him in this. There was not a single player in our squad aside from Reese James, who I would say is unsellable. And if you think that you're going to be challenging for the title or even top four, if you can say that about your squad, then you're crazy. You, you've just made that. the Mason Mount haters very happy with that. <laughs> Listen, right, I, I really like Mason Mount and I do think he's a very talented player. But would he get in the Man City team? No. Would he get in the Liverpool team? Probably not. Would he get into the Arsenal team at the minute? No. These players, you can't just keep being a good player. You've got to put that on the pitch and it's Mm. got to come out in some sort of tangible statistic somewhere. You know, I'm not a massive fan of just looking at statistics, but you've got to have some sort of stats to back up that you are a good player. Like Kai Havertz is prime example. Very talented footballer, but his statistics are terrible. 
Mm. And if he can't put his talent into doing something tangible in a game, then he's pointless. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you can't put it into winning matches, then you're then you're pointless. Go back to Germany. I, there's not a single player that I think that I'd miss at the minute. Yeah, I, I mean it's. I, I mean, I, first of all, I can't believe how poor Kulabali is in that game. I mean, before he joins, yeah. he was considered one of the best defenders in Syria, and I do feel for him because I was excited when we brought him in, and I. Did I think I, I can't remember if I, I, feel, I feel I was the one that hinted at a prediction saying that he will make us not miss Rudiger. Hey, hey things age, you know, fine wines and all that. It, it's it's difficult. And as Plaqueta, I feel so sorry for him. We offered him a two year deal. He's been a club legend, won everything, everything. However, his back end of his Chelsea career is going similar to Ivanovic, where you can yes. tell that it's gone. It's a it's a it's a season too many. Unfortunately, yes. it does. It hits us all. It does hit us all with age. It's a shame. On Graham Potter, I've I've looked at what our listeners have said, and I've seen some question if the players respect him. That's fair. That's fair. Others yeah. stating he just needs time. Again, very fair. My take is I don't mind if we miss out on top four. That's not an issue because of everything going on and this change in the ownership. I, that's how I see it. What bothers me is seeing zero improvement on the pitch. And that's yeah. only because maybe this is rose-tinted glasses, as they say. But when Tuckle came in, you saw the defending instantly improve. You know, with Potter, we haven't, we haven't really seen a new manager bounce. And that's a that's a bit odd. You know, was this a big a move too big too soon for Potter? Right now, in hindsight, some would say we should have given Tuckle to the end of the season and then made the decision. But then he apparently, we're told, didn't back the project and there was issues. And yeah, okay, it's what it is. The owners are going to pick their chosen man. And that's that's that. But I'm struggling to get confident in backing a project when the project is a dumpster fire. It doesn't feel like... I, I just don't understand. That's the problem. And maybe I will in six months when we've signed Enzo Fernandez and you know, we've got Badia Shield and the team looks yeah. better and our injuries aren't hitting us consistently. So, yeah, I mean, what concerns me, though, is we saw yesterday that basically we can't play without Reese James. If he doesn't yeah. play, we might as well not turn up to the game. We might as well just throw it. So, but we're still, it. the, the latest report I seen was that a right back wasn't priority in the window and I don't understand how you can just keep seeing a problem and not wanting to rectify it. Reese James is guaranteed to start when he's fit. Mm -hmm. Right. That that's that's perfectly fair. But you can still sign someone who is an adequate backup to him. Because can we rely on him? His fitness at the moment would suggest no. I would rather sign a, a an adequate backup now and say to Reese James, get fully fit. Don't take four weeks. You could take eight. You could take ten mm. if you want to get completely fully fit. So when you're back, you can put the injuries behind you. Rather than oh, we'll just stick with Dave, and in four weeks we'll just push Reese James back into playing again and hope he doesn't get injured. It seems ludicrous to me. And mm. you know, on the part of thing. I think it's fair to have criticisms of Potter and of any manager because it's a results business at the end of the day. And I won't judge him completely while he's got this squad because I think this squad is about eighth in the Premier League. I think that's about right. I look mm -hmm. at our players and I think, yeah, I would back that team to finish about eighth. And I think anything above that is probably overachieving. 
because when you don't score goals, you're making it very difficult for yourself. And we don't even have players, not who just don't score goals, we don't have that moment of brilliance player. You know, if you can, if you look at your team and you think, right, we haven't got a 20 goal a season striker, but you've got a Hazard who can just score out of nothing, then you think, okay, we can focus on really keeping clean sheets and then just he'll do a bit of magic at that end. He doesn't have that. So I won't judge him entirely until January and the summer transfer window's gone and we can see how the squad is looking then. But at the same time, my issue, my main issue with Potter, to be perfectly balanced on the argument, because I know there's a lot of people who are critical of him, is he seems not to have backed himself. And I think that's my main problem with him. I think when you're a manager who's been brought in for a long-term project, you come in and you implement your style of play straight away and you make these players play that way or you don't play them. But we're not seeing that. We're seeing these players play the same way they always have. Mm. And Potter seems to just be chasing results as opposed to implementing how he wants his team to look long-term. And then normally the results don't follow that and that would be fine. I wouldn't mind watching us try and play how his Brighton team did in terms of patterns of play and stuff and then just realise that these players aren't good enough to do it. They keep trying to do it, but they're not good enough to pull it off. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Yeah. Because you think, okay, well, you take him, him and him and get rid of them and you bring in three new people and all of a sudden it looks completely different. Mm. But at the minute, we're still in this zone of what is Potter's style of play? How yes, does he want exactly, us to play? Yeah. We're signing people in January. It's like Badia Shile and Enzo Fernandez. They come in and it's like, great. Do they fit how he wants to play? Who knows? Because we no one so. knows how we play. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's all we're doing again. Yeah, we're just hoping. I understand. And, you know, I, the Arteta comparison is fair. Arteta needed time. And I seen something the other day where he won like one in 10. He had like a, a, a run where he only won one in 10, which is awful. Mm. And they still backed him. But I would say that the one thing Arteta did when he went to Arsenal was he put his stamp on the team straight away. They wasn't good at it, but they were still trying to do what he wanted. They were still trying to play his way. He just didn't have players that could do it. Mm. And Potter hasn't done that. You know, you look at what Arteta did with the Aubameyang situation. He said to the players that I'll be here longer than you. And I think at the minute, it still seems like the players are looking at Potter thinking, we'll be here longer than you will. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And obviously, we'll talk on that in a minute with City. Um, Monday, that means it is time for the Monday hot take. And I know you know the drill by now, even if we're still suffering from New Year hangovers. Uh, we judge and rate an opinion, see if it's as hot as the Carolina Reaper pepper or a complete load of trash. Now, The Athletic put out a piece which many got to read for just $1.99 per month for 12 months, $7.99 thereafter. Cancel any time, not a sponsor. Uh, reviewing Chelsea's 20 million plus signings since 2019. There are 10. Uh, we'll, we'll quick fire through them. So, and they went hit or miss and we'll all well, verdict out. So, Lukaku, he cost a lot, nearly 100. They went with miss. I think that's fair, isn't it? Well, yeah, we paid that amount of money for him. He, he he come in, did an interview, scored some goals, but then we've basically let him go on a free. Probably yeah. one of the worst transfers. We've Not, ever great. Done. Not great. Not um, great. Wesley Fofana, 
Jury's out. I feel that's fair because he's been injured, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, I'd say Jury's out. This one's controversial. Kai Havertz, hit. And no I, I wonder if that's because of his Champions League winning goal. Ah, uh, that's all it is. I that feel that might be it. it. I'm telling you now, if he hadn't scored that goal in the Champions League final, there is no, there is not a single fan who would still be backing him. Mm. That's all. He has lived off that goal ever since 2021. <laughs> I, I can't believe that people are still judging him on that goal. And to be fair, if you watch that goal back, right, and you really pay attention, he didn't go round Edison on the goal. He tried to chip him and hit him, and then it hit him again and fell in front of him. So mm. if anything, he missed the first chance and got lucky that it fell right back to him. It, it, yeah, I can't believe that a player can live off one goal for so long. Um, next up is Mark Kukurea. Jury's out. Again, I always feel anyone signed and it's their first season, you, you have to kind of just shrug and go, yeah, you can't judge yet, I guess. Yeah, he's been disappointing for me, though. He has, but yeah, that's fair. Uh, ben Chilwell's got a hit. I'd say, yeah, he's, I mean, when he plays, he's pretty solid yeah. for us. We Injuries miss him. aside. Injuries yeah, we miss aside, him. Yeah. Sterling again, jury's out. Fair. Uh, Kulabali's yeah. on here as well as jury's out. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Timo Werner, miss. That's caused some stir, I noticed. I I, I kind of feel on the fence. I can't say hit, because of, but we kind of got a reasonable amount of money back. He did decent. Fans oh, you know loved what? him. Yeah, with Timo Werner... I said it at the time about him that for the player we thought we were signing, definitely a miss. Mm, yeah. If we thought we were signing a winger, probably the best winger we've signed since Hazard. Oh, wow. Because you look at his numbers, first season, he got double figures in goals and assists. None of our other wingers have done that. Hmm. Mm. He wasn't the prolific striker we thought we was getting, but he turned into a pretty decent winger in the end. Mm, that's fair. Uh, Hakim Ziyech, miss. Yeah, it's not not great. Yeah. Not yeah. great. And finally, Edouard Mendy, hit. Well, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what happens now. He, Champions League campaign has cemented him. And Simple. for the fee as well. Yeah, like, exactly. We only paid like 20 million for him. It's... Not, not a lot. Uh We'll go through our Lion of the Week predictions from Friday. Berth went with Kai Havertz. Oh, Chris, Chris, you weren't here. You weren't here. Um, Ollie went with Pulisic. Me, me, I went with Jorginho. So we can happily throw our suggestion straight into the loser locker. Uh, it was painful. It was very painful. Lion. I don't of- know. I don't know why we don't. I don't know why we all just don't pick Thiago Silva every week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, funny, you, I haven't picked him this week. Um, Lion of the midweek, we take on Man City. I have just gone. I've just wrote Kepper because I think it's going to be. He'll, he'll be the best performer. I if we win and it's like one nil, wow. But I've gone Kepper because I just think that he's going to be very busy. That's what I think. Yeah. I don't know what you yeah. think. Who you who have you got in mind? I've got a feeling I know. Instantly when you said that though, I thought Kepper. I honestly I honestly did before you even said yours, I would go with Kepper because I think he's going to be the busiest man on the pitch. And yeah. I think if we've got any chance of getting a result, he has to have a really good game. And so does Thiago Silva. Yeah, hundred percent. It's gonna be one interesting game and one interesting reaction on Friday evening when we record. Oh, isn't it oh just... yes. Um, with that, thank you listeners for listening to this episode. I know it's been a tough start to the new year as a Chelsea fan with the Forest game, but hey, it's 
Man City twice up. We're, we'll be fine. We're going to get, we're going <laughs> to damage limitations. It would be so Chelsea to win both of those games. Though. Oh, yeah. 100%. It would be. I mean, I'm almost expecting it now. It's expectation. <laughs> yeah. So with that, we've come to the end of another episode of At The Bridge Pod. We'll be back on that Friday to hopefully discuss a Chelsea win, hopefully. So till then, that will be us signing off. You've been listening to At The Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram by searching for At The Bridge Pod. And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, leaving us a review is always appreciated.